electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, tech continues its fall. Rising yields weighing on the Nasdaq, coming off the worst day since mid-December or so. Fintech and cloud are some of the hardest hit sectors. Uh, China stocks haven't fared much better, although turning around this morning. Have we hit a bottom or should investors put their money elsewhere? We'll discuss. And then Consumer Tech Week continues here on Tech Check. Got a big hour ahead. Interviews with Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon, Amazon's head of devices and services Dave Limp, and another exclusive with the CEO of HP, Enrique Lores. All that is coming your way in just a moment, Dave. Yeah, big show coming up. We're going to start, though, with some negative sentiment for tech, and that's really a continuation of what we've seen the first few days of this year, the Nasdaq falling more than 1% as the 10-year Treasury rose as high as 1.7% yesterday. UBS is among those bearish, downgrading the tech sector to neutral, specifically citing tech hardware, but also putting out some notes against software names, downgrading Adobe and Salesforce as they worried that front office and sales and marketing spend was pulled forward over the last couple of years. So they say that growth rates could be under pressure in 2022. They do recommend Microsoft and ServiceNow as potential defensive plays given current rates. Let's bring in Mike Santoli. Uh, Mike, as we look across this tech landscape today, yes, the Nasdaq underperforming, but within this sector, we continue to see these legacy names uh, perhaps provide more value, which is what they're looking for early this year. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously running from expensive, over-owned, crowded uh, big cap tech names into areas that maybe seem a little bit less recognized, less exploited. You know, the most positive net beneficiary to the Nasdaq 100 today uh, is Intel. And so that gets right to your point. Uh, Microsoft, the biggest negative. Now, Microsoft's down four and a half percent in the three days of trading this year, down you know, a little more than that off of its high. Not because anything changed with Microsoft, but not much changed with Microsoft last year when it was up 53 percent. So this really is a reallocation and kind of a reprioritization of what people want. What I find interesting, though, is let's look at the Russell 1000 value against the Nasdaq 100. So this is what we're talking about in this rotation we've seen recently. Have we seen something like this before? Multiple times. You've seen kind of waxing and waning of enthusiasm for mega cap growth relative to value stocks. A lot of people are thinking the macro inputs are there for this to actually catch more momentum and go higher. But I would just caution against you still have to separate it out from the new year, kind of new performance year, new tax year effects of just reallocating toward areas that seem like maybe they fit better into an economy that's reaccelerating. And in fact, you know, we look like we were going to get something like this in late uh, November. And then Omicron kind of uh, got in the way 
of a lot of that. Now, within technology, what's also interesting is there's really been a uh, rush toward hardware and cyclical plays as opposed to software and Internet. So this is a two-year chart. I kind of wanted to show where we've been. They've mostly been uh, tracking. So that's semiconductor index. This is computer networking. So it's the Cisco's and the uh, JDSU's and all that. And this is software, and that's Internet. So that's the separation that we've seen in the last two months as the market wants to kind of play economic energy as opposed to safety and high profit margins of software. The question is, how much of this has already been wrung out? The cloud group looking really kind of stretched to the downside, at least on a short-term tactical basis. And that's the question as we uh, get deeper into January, guys. Yeah, which is why it's such a complicated trade right now, Mike. Even UBS, uh, in, the, in the midst of downgrading Adobe and CRM, uh, says that tech hardware is the most vulnerable. On the other hand, it's software that has, you could argue, an annuity model that maybe some of the cyclical hardware names don't have. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of cross-currents. Without a doubt, especially in a year where, in general, you're talking about a deceleration of, of earnings growth, probably not as much breath in economic and earnings momentum in terms of, you know, just because earnings have been up so much. So usually that means, and you have a lot of people out there saying, hey, buy quality. Quality companies are the type to do it. The quality factor uh, of the S&P 500 perfectly tracks the NASDAQ 100. So if you're buying quality and you're saying that, you know, mega cap software and internet uh, looks a little bit expensive, you're not really, you know, you're saying two conflicting things. Right. But, Mike, there's sort of key differentiation here between sort of the short term play and potential value traps. I mean, you take a look at IBM, which has been outperforming, uh, especially those higher growth names over the last few weeks and even months. And there was a headline this morning, Axios, saying that's still trying to sell its Watson Health unit, kind of indicative of how sort of over the longer term it doesn't always get these trends right. And nothing fundamentally has, you could argue, really changed there. So how do you avoid those value traps when you're looking at these sort of uh, dinosaur tech names. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the zone right now where it is mostly just about mean reversion, right? And people saying, let's not bet too hard against it. But right, so there's uh, IBM for, you know, on a one-month basis. But, you know, take it back a few years and you see all you're doing is picking up a little bit of, uh, of what's been lost along the way. The, IBM has cosmetically looked cheap for a very long period of time. Uh, but that hasn't necessarily helped you. Look at total return. I mean, things like Cisco, that's legacy, that's old, but it's free cash flow and, you know, people, uh, the management doing some things that seem pretty shareholder friendly. All right. Mike, thank you. And uh, with that, let's move into talking to a specific tech name, Qualcomm, announcing it is working on next-gen AR glasses with Microsoft and expanding its automotive presence through partnerships with the likes of Volvo, Hondo, and Renault. Joining us now, live from Las Vegas, for a first on CNBC interview, Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon. Cristiano, good to see you. How how is it there in Vegas? Good morning from Vegas. Uh, Good to see you, too. I'm sad you're not here, but it's been great. It's good to be around people. I think there are lots of excitement news from Qualcomm, and uh, so far, we're very happy with the show. Well, I want to start off with autos, because I know you're talking quite a bit about that. And I think the analyst notes have been interesting uh, lately. I've been engaging with them. They've been tending to put you in an infotainment category and not as much in the autonomous driving category. You've got digital cockpit, which is some of that entertainment, but you've also got digital chassis. Uh, Explain how you look at this very important consumer market. 
Look, this is an excellent question. Uh, what I saw during the press conference we had yesterday for the first time, many of the analysts came to me and said, I got it. Now I understand it. Look, the strength of Qualcomm is, is to tackle everything as a system and look at technology disruption. So what we have done and the reason we've been so successful in automotive in a very short period of time, we look at what is it the automotive industry needs. They build platforms. They don't build components that go to cars. They build platforms. They build an engine that they use across a number of lines, multi-generations. They build a chassis. They build... Um, um, uh, a unibody platform. So we know that the most important uh, uh, assets of the cars now are the digital components. So that's what we built. We built an entire digital chassis that a car maker can innovate upon that and use it across generations after generations hmm. and, and across every single car. And the chassis has everything you need. It has connectivity of the car with the cloud, it has the service platform as the car become a service hub for distribution of media, for data analytics and everything. Right. It has the digital cockpit and it has the ADAS and autonomy. And what we, as we explained to the show, we also showed the increasing momentum, more and more automakers signing up for the digital chassis. We've been talking about that when we were in New York, New York Analyst Day. And since that time, just within a few months, we continue to see more traction. So we announced the increased traction with digital chassis right. and, and all of the design wins around it. So, Cristiano, if I were an investor, and of course I'm not because uh, I'm a business journalist, but my concern would be that the car companies historically have taken a long time to build in technologies. The refresh cycle hasn't been great. And even now, what you have is people bringing smartphones into cars, and those have pushed the car makers into, into wanting to innovate more quickly. And of course, Qualcomm uh, did very well uh, in, in smartphones, and, and now you're expanding. But how do you model what the opportunity is when the cycles for cars are so long and uh, people don't swap them out necessarily as often as they do phones? Well, look, I wish I had more time. I can talk to you about that for days, but maybe I'll highlight a few things. The reason, the reason this is getting traction is because exactly that's the problem. Look, when you look at the valuation of Tesla and car companies understand they are going to become tech companies. They need a platform for innovation. That's what the digital chassis is. And it's not about a single component. It's not about the infotainment, about the connectivity. It's about the whole chassis, including ADAS and autonomy. We're designing so ADAS is going to be as pervasive as airbags. It's going to be from entry-level cars to high-level to premium cars. And can they have a platform for innovation that over the lifetime of the car, they continue to add services, do over-the-air upgrades, and add new capabilities? Eventually, the service revenue from the car could be as big, if not higher, than the profit of selling the car in the first place. And I think that's the reason our solution is resonating and we're getting traction. We're working with now all the car makers, and uh, we're, we're super excited about the traction. Now, one thing I want to tell you, you I, I heard you mention about uh, Qualcomm. Is, people look at Qualcomm as infotainment, not uh, ADAS. That's, that's a mistake. Uh, when we had our New York Analyst Day, we announced uh, BMW has selected Qualcomm for their uh, ADAS and autonomy platform. Then just less than, like a, in a month, we had our tech summit, we had a Cadillac Lyric with Super Cruise GM with Qualcomm. And then in the show today, we have like new companies like Renault and 
adopting the entire chassis, including ADAS. So we're, we're seeing traction continue to add, including ADAS and autonomy for Qualcomm. Right. Yeah. Cristiano, good morning. It's Deirdre. Thanks for being with us. Uh, certainly the role of chips in the auto industry uh, has never been so important. I guess I wonder how far do the automakers take it? Do you envision in the longer term a world where they're bringing more chip design as they've already sort of started to, especially a Tesla in-house? What does that mean for you and the chip making space in terms of talent and these partnerships? Look, uh, we, 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 we deal with this thing within the mobile space as well. At the end of the day, if chips are important and the innovation cycle is important, companies, they're very focused on this, like Qualcomm, they're always going to be a, a place for us. But I think the biggest challenge for the automakers right now is not to have their own chip. Absolutely not the case. The biggest challenge for the automaker right now is can they add technology to the car since digital becomes the most important part of building a car and, and, the, and the car ownership experience going forward? And can they bring new software capabilities and new services to the car? That's a much higher priority than having their own chip. And, uh, and what we're actually seeing is the opposite. What they have in the past relegated the chip relationship to their supply chain, whether it's a tier one and tier two. Now, every car maker wants to have a direct relationship with the chip company. And I think that's how that fit, fit in the Qualcomm model. Very nice. So, Cristiano, I do want to talk PCs for a moment because uh, you have been pushing into that space, uh, partnerships with Microsoft, among others. But here's what I wonder. I know you've outlined that as 5G gets built into more you know, mobile PCs, laptop-type devices. Uh, you have some advantage there. Uh, Qualcomm chip, Snapdragon, powerful, clearly. But how do you avoid that kind of Chromebook trap of, yes, it's connected, but it's underpowered versus what mainstream x86 or even what Apple's doing in Macs uh, versus that? Because certainly during the pandemic, when people shifted toward productivity, there seemed to be an uptick in interest in power, um, not just connectivity and, and uh, portability. Look, it's we we see demand, you know, for you know tablets and Chromebooks and uh, PCs, Windows PCs for education. We'll continue to support that, but that's not what we're chasing. We're really doing is building the next generation laptop for 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 productivity, for entertainment. There's a lot of things that is completely changing what the PC is. Uh, just like right now, uh, we're using PCs as a communication device. Number one use case of PC right now is communication. The work from anywhere require all of your data to be in the cloud. You need to have connectivity everywhere. Camera is important. AI is important. Multimedia is important. Then gaming, there used to be uh, a unique thing for desktop and gaming PCs. As gaming becomes streaming and pervasive, and over time it's gonna be like watching a Netflix uh, movie, that's gonna change the use case as well. And we are, Building since we made the acquisition of Nubia, we're building a platform to be the leadership in performance as PCs move to ARM. What we did at the show, we actually announced, you know, we you know, we've been we've been talking about this for a while. We know it's gonna happen. The transition to ARM is inevitable. So we announced uh, a support of a broad ecosystem, Microsoft and HP and Acer and Asus and Lenovo, that we're going to build next generation laptops moving uh to ARM, All and right. I think that's an exciting opportunity. Well, we got Enrique Loris from HP, 
coming up a little later in the show. And Mary Barra from GM is one of your customers on the auto side, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, we got Mary Barra coming up. Phil LeBeau's got an interview with her at 2.15. Uh, another company, along with Qualcomm, of course, innovating uh, in autos. Cristiano, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Happy to hear him. Please tell both of them I say hello. <laughs> we will, Cristiano. Thank you. Uh, speaking of which, coming up, two more exclusives, Amazon's head of devices and services. Plus, we'll sit down with the CEO of HP. A big hour of tech check is just getting started. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Got some numbers from Melvin Capital out a few moments ago, exclusive to CNBC. Leslie Picker has those in some context on their performance post-meme trade, Leslie. Hey, Carl. Yeah, that's right. Melvin Capital is a firm that we followed closely ever since we saw the big run-up uh, in GameStop early in 2021. While well, sources told us exclusively the numbers for 2021, the full year 2021, the firm had negative 39.3% returns. Now, it's important to put these in context because if you exclude January, which was the month that we saw the huge run-up, you can see it there on your chart, huge run-up in GameStop in late January. If you just exclude that month entirely from February 1st to December 31st, the firm actually had gains of 33.2%. In December alone, the gains were 3.7%. The firm actually ended with AUM of 11.7 billion. And if you kind of compare that to where they were in January, they ended that month with about $8 billion in assets, having started 2021 with assets of roughly $12.5 billion. So slightly down, maybe down less than a billion in AUM from where they were at this time last year. Clearly GameStop having a big role to play. They were famously short and had put options in GameStop shares. And so then they got caught on the other side of the short squeeze, leading to major losses in the first quarter of the year, trying to recoup them, but still not entirely recouping them for the full year down 39.3%, this according to a source familiar with the numbers, John. Wow. Yeah. Last January, it seems like like a longer time (laughs) ago. Uh, Leslie Picker, thank you. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, this morning, Amazon announcing news across Alexa, Fire TV, and Ring, including a multi-year partnership with global automaker Stellantis to introduce connected experiences across millions of vehicles starting in 2024. Joining us now in an exclusive interview, Amazon's SVP of Devices and Services, David Limp. Dave, good to see you. Now, if I'm like a lot of Americans 
When I read Stellantis, I was like, who? But then I realized this is what was created when Fiat Chrysler uh, got together with the French auto company. So it's got Jeep, it's got Chrysler, it's got Peugeot, et cetera. And we were just talking to Cristiano Amon over at Qualcomm about car innovation. And you're doing this deal and you're focusing on Fire TV in car. Why so much car news now? Well, I think it's the next place for us where we think this idea of ambient computing makes sense. You know, there, there will be a day where our cars are fully autonomous, but that's still down the road a bit. And so you want to keep your hands on the wheel. You want to be looking out and being safe. And there's nothing better than kind of voice interface. And, and we do think that by taking some of the learnings that we've had at Amazon, working closely with Stellantis, that we can improve the in-car experience and, and allow Stellantis to get the, the brands that they love, the ones you just mentioned, storied brands like Jeep and Chrysler and Peugeot, and, and really reflect those brands to their customers. And so we're working on in-cabin software for them for the first time, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, e-commerce, a big part of what Amazon does, but as you've moved into devices and services more and more deeply. It's not just about the computer. It's about, you mentioned the car, certainly about the home. You've got Ring. You've got a lot of uh, security stuff that you've been working on. What is the data showing you about how people want to use these devices, the importance of voice as an interface, and, and where are you focusing your innovation now? Yeah, I think it, it's, uh, it's sort of peak voice, if you will. Like we are, we, they, it, and, and the home has become, as we've talked about in the past, so important. We're unfortunately coming up on a kind of two-year anniversary of this pandemic where we're all working from our homes. It's often our schools and, and movie theaters. And this idea that you want to surround yourself with technology that can make your life easier has never been more important. And so whether that's Ring that, that makes your neighborhood and your house more secure and gives you more peace of mind, uh, it's Arrow to give you uh, better connectivity in your home so that you can do all those tasks simultaneously. Or as you mentioned, things like Fire TV to entertain you. We just crossed 150 million Fire TV devices sold coming out of this last holiday. And customers have never been streaming media more than they have uh, right now. So it's it's really just a, a, a sort of golden age of what technology can do in your home. Uh, Dave, good morning. It's Deirdre. For years, Amazon and you personally have been talking about all the things that Alexa can do and be used for. The list is growing. But a recent report um, kind of showed that people are still using it for sort of the same tasks that they have been for years. Uh, play music, set timers, turn on the lights. What can you tell us about engagement and what are some of the other major use cases right now? Well, it, I, you know, I saw some of those reports and they must be looking at different data than I am because, uh, you know, Alexa usage is at an all time high. It continues to grow at a pace that I think anybody would would admire. And uh, and it's it's across the board. You know, I think the thing that has happened over the last six or seven years from Alexa is it's gone from just a service to be able to stream music from Amazon Music and Spotify and others to a service that has a broad level of, of applicability. So kids are using it for homework help. Uh, people are using it uh, on Fire TV to help them find the streaming media. There's so much choice out there today from streaming media. So being able to use a voice assistant to help you navigate what to watch next is really important. And as you mentioned, the, the smart home becomes incredibly important as we move forward. And being able to control your house without having to pull your phone out, find the right app, get that app connected, but just say, hey, let's turn on the lights or open a door. And right. uh, that's also super convenient. And now as we move into the car, 
thinking about um, being able to just say, hey, give me directions to the nearest Starbucks and the navigation system in, in a Stellantis car automatically does that uh, is super convenient. So I think we're just at the tip right. of the iceberg of what uh, Voice will be able to do. But again, Dave, I just wonder, what are some of the new use cases? We really haven't seen shopping really catch on using the voice assistant unless you have in the data. What are some of the newer ones? Because the smart home is something that people have already been using Alexa for. I think shopping has taken off, uh, you know, so I, and, you know, especially, you know, in two key aspects, uh, reordering people love to, you know, the things that you want to uh, get most commonly, whether it's dog food or cat food or consumables and also creating lists, you know, uh, we're seeing a huge uptake of that, which is as I'm trying to navigate, well, where I'm, what, what groceries do I want? What other kinds of things do I want? We see a lot of people using Alexa to create those lists around shopping. So I think the data would show that that shopping is on an uh, upward trend. And then, as as I said, as new services emerge, um, they start getting voice uptake as well. I, you know, for a long time it was music, but now you start seeing people using podcasts more than ever before. You start seeing music more than ever before. Uh, you you start pe seeing people playing games. Uh, in and around their home with their Alexa. And I mentioned things like the knowledge graph, the ability to answer questions that becomes equally important as people are doing more research, more homework in the home. And, and that's on the uptake as well. That's interesting. I wonder, Dave, when you think about your customer base and the group that is really driving uh, voice usage, is it, is it about age in terms of demographics? Is it younger people? Is it about income? Is it about whether or not they have kids in the household or something else? You know, it's incredibly broad demographic and, and it holds true internationally as well as in the U.S. as well. And yeah, what is nice about it and, and about this idea of ambient intelligence is that there basically is no learning curve. You don't have to pull out a manual. You don't have to get trained by somebody, uh, you know, as you might have to do with a phone or, or a computer or something like that. You can just walk up to it. So kids are incredibly curious around Alexa. You know, Alexa gets smarter every day. And when I want to know about new features, I often ask my kids because they're the people uh, trying things over and over again. They don't, they, don't get, uh, they don't get worried when one day something fails and the next day it works. They keep trying it. But I would also say that uh, we see a broad uh, group of people that are sort of that as they get um, older in life, that they see a lot of value in this as well, because it, it, it allows you to live longer well. Uh, you know, you, you, can, um, uh, you can talk to Alexa and Alexa can help you communicate with friends and family very easily. And uh, features like Alexa together allow us to be able to do that. So it really is a broad uh, use case across a lot of different customers. Dave, that doesn't seem right. My kids ask me about new technology, but you're asking your kids? I don't know. Uh, but I do want to ask you for I never want to be your IT director for your kids. Never. <laughs> yeah. I do want to ask you about Astro. When I visited you back in the fall, uh, your new robot was getting shown off for the first time What's the uptake been? What's the timeline and the prospect of a broader release and availability of Astro? Yeah, when we spoke, we were just opening up for invites. I would say the invites, uh, you know, again, I, I don't know how you forecast something that's completely new to world, but it blew away all my expectations of the forecast I thought that we would have in terms of number of people that requested invites. It was five to six times my, uh, my most optimistic project projections. And the team did a lot of work before the holidays and started shipping the first units to customers. It's still in very small numbers, uh, but the early signs from the customers that have received it in their homes, and these are not beta customers, these are actual Amazon customers in the field, 
uh, has been really interesting and really good. Uh, they, they're using it. Uh, they're engaging with Astro. Uh, and some of the things that we saw them, you and I talked about in, in our beta testing, where it starts becoming kind of a, a weird part of your family in, in, in a strange way, uh, unexpected way. Uh, has uh, we've started seeing that from some of the early customers as well. Now, I, I, I don't want to make any long-term predictions yet because it's still so early, but uh, I love to see the first anecdotes coming back. And it hasn't peed on any carpets or chewed up any slippers, I take it. <laughs> that, that is, is the an, good news. That is it's well-behaved. <laughs> Dave, thank you. Dave Lim. Thanks for the time. <laughs> as we end a break, check out shares of Roku. Atlantic Equities initiates at underweight and a $136 price target. They're particularly concerned about international growth. And then after the break, HP with a big product launch. Consumer Tech Week continues with CEO Enrique Lores. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check, resetting here at the bottom of the hour. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, John Fort, and Julia Borston. Coming up this half hour, shopping for social stocks. Could e-commerce be the key for a rebound in a beaten up sector? Julia's going to look at that. First, though, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. A big win for Boeing. Allegiant Air is buying 5737 Max Jets. Until now, the company has mostly used Airbus planes. Boeing is up more than 2% today and among the stocks leading the Dow. Winter weather in parts of the country helping drive up flight cancellations. Again, more than 1,400 U.S. flights have been canceled so far today. That's close to yesterday's total. Southwest by far has the most canceled flights with 455, according to tracking site FlightAware. The U.S. added more than 800,000 private sector jobs in December, ADP's monthly job survey showed more than twice as much job growth as economists had forecast. Stocks, though, are mixed today as traders wait for the jobs report on Friday. And KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, will start selling meatless fried chicken from Beyond Meat. The new menu items go on sale Monday at nearly 4,000 locations, but they will only be available for a limited time. Beyond Meat shares are up 2% today, but are still down about 50% over the last year. And for what it's worth, Deidre, I am very excited about this news. The only reason I go to Burger King is for the Impossible Whoppers. So, listen, <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, I, I'm a little skeptical. I mean, I, although you go to KFC for that recipe, right? So maybe that could kind of make anything and taste good. And the mashed good, potatoes we'll and the biscuits. It's a whole ensemble. <laughs> 
There you go. There you go. Uh, Rahel, thank you. Meanwhile, HP having its biggest CS launch to date, announcing nearly 50 new products and services, providing new ways to collaborate, create, and play. The launch includes new desktops, expansion of video conferencing tools, and new gaming products. Joining us now in an exclusive interview, HP CEO Enrique Lores. Uh, Enrique, good morning, and thanks for being with us. You're not in Vegas, are you? Just checking. No. Did you good morning, go and thank you for having me here. Are you in Vegas or are you remote? I, I, we are working remotely. So given the situation with Omnicom, we decided to keep the focus this year as we did last year remote. But we expect this to be a great show for us. As you share, we are announcing okay. 50 new yeah. products, new technologies. So really a great show for us. Yeah, I want to get your take. Uh, something we talked about at the start of the show. There was a UBS note this morning downgrading the tech sector and they called out tech hardware as the most vulnerable. What is your outlook? Has demand been pulled forward over the last few years? We continue to see very strong demand for our products, both on the commercial side and on the consumer side. On the commercial side, as offices are starting to reopen and companies are equipping their employees to be able to continue to work on a hybrid way, it's a great opportunity for us. And on the consumer side, we continue to see very strong demand in categories like gaming on high-end computing devices. So we are really optimistic about the future of the PC business this year. We had a great 21 and we expect to continue to have a very strong 22. Yeah, we're certainly we're talking a lot today about the future and next generation technologies. We had Qualcomm's Cristiano Amon, Amazon's David Limp on the show. Both companies are making big bets on auto tech, as well as other next generation technologies like AR and VR. So I wonder, how are you, how is HP positioned uh, in the next areas of growth beyond PCs and printers and accessories? What is the opportunity for you in things like vehicles and headsets? In, we really see a lot of opportunity driven by what we call the hybrid way of working. Most of the companies have announced that they are gonna be allowing their employees to work both from home and from the office. And this really creates opportunities for us to create new products, new services, new experiences. And this is true both for personal systems, for what we call peripherals, which is a very broad category of all the accessories that you need to connect and to communicate. And it's also a great opportunity for printing, where we are really driving a big transformation to a subscription model. So across the full portfolio of the company, we see opportunities to continue to grow in this new hybrid way, hybrid world. Yeah, Enrique, I wanted to talk to you about that specifically. I happen to subscribe to the HP, uh, you know, the, the ink program where you pay a monthly fee and you send new ink when you're running out. Pretty nice. But I'm wondering specifically about hybrid and how it might be changing the PC refresh cycle. It seems to me a lot of businesses would have low-end desktops in office for employees and kind of hand out laptops only occasionally but now with both hybrid and the uncertainty of where people are going to be working from, I'm hearing more and more about companies feeling that they need to equip employees with laptops and with laptops that have decent cameras built in and therefore decent amounts of memory, perhaps some more storage. Is that happening uh, in the data? Is that durable? Is it changing the refresh cycle, do you think? So what we are seeing is very strong demand coming from the commercial side, from the office side, driven by the, by the factors that you were explaining Companies are equipping their employees with new equipment to, so they can connect, work, collaborate, working both from the office and from home. And this has also driven a shift from desktops into laptops, 
which is also a, a good opportunity for us to continue to grow. We have seen, we saw in 21, a 40% increase of the volumes on the PC space. We think that this new level of demand is going to stay. And this is what we have been expecting and what we are seeing from the demand perspective. Enrique, I wonder how you're thinking about uh, hardware production right now, especially in various countries. For example, this morning in the UK, they're relaxing some restrictions, uh, but a lot of the market is focused on zero uh, COVID case tolerance in Southeast Asia. How much of that could weigh on production this year? We, we continue to see the industry-wide challenges that we have seen in supply chain, but we are every quarter we continue to make progress. Great news is that demand continues to be strong, and really this is what is driving the performance and the success of the company at this point. And then, uh, Enrique, uh, there was a lot of constraint in supply that affected the commercial PC market in 2021, and I'm hearing that Part of what's happened is the supply that exists is getting uh, allocated to higher end systems, which is you know, boosting ASPs and, and perhaps um, you know, ends up being good for companies. What do you expect? What are you seeing in terms of supply and how that will affect uh, the, the commercial market? And how are the ASPs trending um, as far as the types of devices that the available supply is going into? We have seen during the last quarters... Uh an increase of the average selling prices, really driven by a change of mix. As companies and, and people are buying better PCs with more memory, better cameras, better displays. And we expect this to continue to, to happen during 2022. This is also has opened us the opportunity to introduce new innovation as the innovation that we are creating and introducing in CS, really driven and created to enable customers to have better experiences as they need to connect, communicate, and actually also play with their equipment. Enrique, thanks so much for being with us uh, this morning. Enjoy the rest of CES. Enrique Lores, uh, HP CEO. Thank you. Now another call on chips to get to this morning. Jeffries initiates Applied Materials, LAM Research, and KLA all at a buy. They say there's anywhere from 19 to 24% upside for those names. The Sox holding on to positive gains for the year as other sectors within tech are struggling. More Tech Check is after this. Social stocks have, for the most part, suffered in the past year, with the exception of Meta, all down dramatically in the last 12 months. Pinterest off by more than half in that time period. Twitter down 24, Snap down 12. Uh, but now some new reports point to potential growth, and Julia's got a look at that today. Hey, Jamie. Well, Carl, the question is whether uh, there is potential, particularly in e-commerce, and that could mean that there's an opportunity in the sell-off in social stocks that sell off in part thanks to Apple's operating system change that has limited ad targeting. Now, Pinterest shares, after dropping 9% yesterday, rebounding today, they're now up 1%. They were up 2% earlier. That rebound is on a Piper Sandler upgrade, noting improving user trends this year and opportunity in e-commerce saying they see Pinterest continue to make progress in shopping with an increase in the number of companies that are uploading their catalogs and a doubling 
in product searches from last year and on-platform transactions on track to be tested by year end. Now, Accenture just released a study about massive growth of social commerce. Now, that means whenever someone's entire shopping experience from discovering a product to checking out takes place on a social media platform. Accenture estimating that social commerce will grow three times as fast as traditional e-commerce from nearly half a trillion dollars this year to over $1.2 trillion in 2025. Accenture also projecting that social commerce will further shift the power from companies to creators as influencers and individuals increasingly are the ones driving sales and consumers are looking for curated recommendations. Now, this trend does bode well for the social media platforms, Meta, Snap, Pinterest, Twitter, along with YouTube. All of these companies have been investing in e-commerce tools for both brands and for creators. DFC analyst Barton Crockett tells us that his favorite social commerce play is Alphabet because YouTube, he says, is remaining relevant to younger generations and is skilled and tapping into viral influencer content, guys. Uh, Julie, I know you saw the Variety piece yesterday that said that basically Americans are spending as much time watching user-generated content than they are watching, say, scripted or streaming content. Yeah, and so when you see a headline like that so dramatic, it raises the question of what does that mean for advertising, right? Think about linear television, how many challenges that faces, not just from the likes of Netflix, but also the rise of all the content people are watching on TikTok and YouTube. What that means is that ads are going to be shifting to those platforms as well. And that's a huge opportunity if you're an influencer with tens of thousands or millions of followers or even an individual who can recommend products to your friends. That is going to be the way people are increasingly buying things going forward. And if you could do it all without ever leaving Instagram, can you imagine how valuable that is for Instagram compared to some of these other sort of ad targeting models? All right, Julia. Um, interesting. Interesting for sure. I know you're going to continue to track. Uh, now, coming up, Sony wants to get into EVs, plus GM and Chrysler doubling down on an electric future. Tech Check is back in a moment. For a gut check on a few Chinese names, Alibaba getting a vote of confidence from Charlie Munger. His daily journal doubling its stake in the e-commerce giant to more than 600,000 shares. That's according to SEC filings. A few other names today are also in the green. You've got Baidu, Pinduoduo, JD.com. They are all up in today's trading, bucking the broader trend. Take a look also at the Crane Shares China Internet ETF. ETF also seeing some modest gains this morning. Keyword here is modest. We mentioned so often uh, that this one is down more than 55 percent over the last year. Lots of chances, Carl, for investors to sort of get roped in just to dead cat bounces so far, at least. Uh, yeah, we're going to watch it. The Munger news is interesting, though, that's for sure. Want to get a check on a few EV names today. Busy weeks for the auto space. Tesla uh, reversing some earlier gains. Lucid and Rivian down big as traditional automakers definitely ramping up the competition and making some noise at CES. We'll get more on that in a moment when Tech Check comes back.
back. GM CEO Mary Barra is going to deliver a CES keynote in just a few minutes. Expect big bets on electric future. Phil LeBeau is with us now as more companies double down on their EV commitments and just technology upgrades inside autos in general. Phil? Sure. And John, for General Motors and for Mary Barra, this is a big opportunity to make some news here to say, look, we have the models that are coming and people are going to want to focus on us. So three things that we expect Mary Barra to touch on during her keynote. We know that she's going to unveil the new Silverado EV. That's the electric pickup truck that will be coming to market in 2023. They're also going to be talking about potentially, do they accelerate new models? We know they have 30 coming by 2025. Do they say, look, we know the demand is out there. Can we accelerate it? And the Ultium battery platform, GM believes that's the difference maker here. That is the platform that all of their electric vehicles will be built on, and they believe that will give them a leg up on the competition. Remember, they're unveiling 30, 30 electric vehicles worldwide by 2025. Take a look at GM versus Ford versus Tesla. We're just showing you the last six months. What's interesting here, when you look at this chart, GM is lagging both Ford and Tesla. When you talk with GM executives, they kind of sit there and say, we know that there's a lot of headlines that are going to Ford, and Tesla has been dominating EVs. We will be the number one EV automaker later on this decade. They're adamant about that. Don't forget, we're going to be talking with Mary Barra. We'll talk about that uh, claim that she has made before, that they will be number one. That's going to be part of the topic of the uh, interview coming up at 2.15 on Power Lunch. Do not want to miss that. And, guys, we're going to see that Silverado EV. Let's see what kind of buzz it generates. All right. We'll see how hard she throws down that gauntlet this time. Phil, thanks. Now, if you missed part of the show, do not forget you can follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren sending a letter to Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai uh, criticizing the company's calls for Assistant AG Jonathan Cantor's recusal in any antitrust activities related to Google, writing, quote, the company's attempts to force Mr. Cantor off current and future cases are misguided and reflect what appears to be a willful misunderstanding and misrepresentation of federal ethics mandates. Your efforts to sideline key federal regulators like similar actions by Facebook and Amazon simply serve as further evidence that you will go to all lengths to ward off necessary scrutiny of your immense market power. You can read more about that on CNBC.com. John, uh, remarkable back and forth, not just between uh, Google and The Hill, but Facebook, as she mentioned, and some others. Yeah, everybody hates big tech, but they just hate them in different ways for different reasons, D. Uh, all of that hate, though, doesn't seem to have yet crystallized into actually hurting the companies. Not saying that we're, you know... <laughs> Not looking to jinx that for anybody, you know. You never know what's going to happen. But we're, we're, you know, it's 22. There's midterms coming up. Yeah. Lawmakers, users, a different story here, but this is a tactic, uh, Carl, that uh, the big tech companies are employing other ones too, like Amazon and Facebook. They want Lena Khan recused. Yeah. Uh, speaking of tech, it's definitely been another tough session, especially for non-profitable uh, tech. We're going to watch that. All eyes are going to be on the Fed minutes this afternoon. S&P was green for about five minutes. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.